Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Liz Truss has been, if anything, certainly as bad as Johnson on the populism agenda. She wants people to work hard and she hates people being told what to do. The markets are looking very, very closely at political pronouncements. Together, we can ride out the storm. We can rebuild our economy and we can become the modern, brilliant Britain that I know we can be. You're listening to Bloomberg UK Politics, your daily guide to the corridors of power. I'm Ewan Potts. And I'm Stephen Carroll. Today, Keir's storm offensive, the Labour leader riding high on poll numbers and his party conference speech. But is the party ready for government? We'll discuss with former Shadow Minister Sam Tarry. Plus, bad for the markets, but could the Chancellor's tax cut plans be good for business? We'll hear from the Chief Economist of the Institute of Directors and a different approach to a budget. We'll bring you our interview with Ireland's Finance Minister, Pascal Donoghue. But first, a stinging rebuke of the UK's new tax plans from the International Monetary Fund, Ewan. Yeah, some quite strong stuff from the IMF saying the government's tax cuts, the biggest in 50 years, are excessive and in need of revision. It's not the sort of thing that we usually hear from the IMF. They usually make very, you know, statements very much prepared and scheduled in line with reviews that they make. So it's very unusual for them to make a statement like this out of turn. But the language saying that fiscal stimulus is inappropriate given the inflation pressures in the UK economy and the package risking making life harder for the Bank of England. Now, the Treasury, for its part, says that the Chancellor Kwasi Kwarteng insisted when he met business leaders uh, yesterday, he's meeting more today, as we'll hear later in the programme, uh, that the there was a focus and that the government is focused on fiscal discipline. But interesting to see uh, one of the reactions to this. Uh, just around 11 o'clock this morning, we had news from the Bank of England that they are going to be um, carrying out temporary purchase of long-dated UK bonds. This is... Uh, essentially an intervention in the market given the massive rise in borrowing costs we've heard uh, for the UK government since the announcement of the budget last Friday. The bank is going to be uh, buying some of those long-dated UK government bonds from the end of this, uh, from uh, the 28th, which is today, uh, to restore, as it calls, orderly market conditions. So the Bank of England now reacting uh, to the market chaos that we've seen in recent days. Yeah, the UK uh, 30-year yield earlier hitting 5% uh, uh, earlier today. Uh, pretty uh, something, of a, something of a milestone. Uh, interesting to turn to uh, Keir Starmer's uh, speech yesterday. Um, I thought it was a confident speech from the Labour leader, an impressive speech. When you have to feel a little bit sorry for him, though, becoming uh, opposition leader in the middle of a pandemic, it, it was really rotten timing. But I got a sense that Labour has moved on from its own ideological struggles. Corbynism is gone. Uh, long live the new leader. Here, here he is uh, laying into the government on economic policy. They've crashed the pound. And for what? Higher interest rates, higher inflation, higher borrowing. And for what? Not for you, not for working people, for tax cuts for the richest 1% in our society. I do wonder if we'll look back at this week, Stephen, as something of a turning point, the moment that the polls turned 
decisively against the Conservatives. I, I don't think that is certain. But what is clear to me is that governments lose elections on the economy, to, to quote a US president. Uh, it's the economy, stupid. Look at the big changes of power. 1979's economic mess ushered in the Conservatives. Black Wednesday was the end of confidence in their economic policy, and that led to a landslide victory for Labour. And in 2010, the global financial crisis, well, that did for Gordon Brown. So to forecast the next election, I think we need to look at the economic picture. And at the moment... It ain't looking too rosy. No, it sure isn't. And it is a really interesting time to focus on Labour, given the the rather violent market reactions we've seen to latest government policy. Yeah, well, let's speak now to former Shadow Minister and Labour MP for Ilford South, Sam Tarry. Sam, thanks so much for joining us on the show. What did you make of Keir Starmer's speech? I thought it was really good. I thought it was confident. I thought it was looking out to the country. And, you know, it was interesting you said about the sort of ideological differences. Well, actually, I think the thing that's interesting is the commitments around public ownership of rail, the creation of a new renewable publicly owned company. It kind of means that actually the centre ground has shifted left and that's not really a debate anymore. I think that the impact of the pandemic where even Rishi Sunak had to simply enact pretty much social democratic policies. If you look at, you know, the, the money that was paid to people to protect their, their wages. Um, and so I think things have moved on. And that's why what's come forward from the government over the past few days that's crashed the market so badly is just so shocking. I mean, I was looking at some comments from a recent uh, US uh, Treasury Secretary. He said it's going to be remembered as the worst macroeconomic policy uh, decisions in sort of modern European history. I mean, that's pretty scathing, really. And so this is an opportunity for Labour to continue to lay out those plans, making sure that they're fully costed but actually to give people hope you know these are real plans that will create the high wage economy create jobs in the communities that need them it won't be the fake sort of leveling up agenda that we had from the tories previously it will actually be a serious plan that can make you know britain as it should be a global leader in renewable technologies whether that be hydrogen whether that be solar in rural areas i mean i think this is really something that many of us you know even people like myself on the left of the labor party have wanted to hear from labor leadership for a long time and i'm just absolutely you know, buzzing that that's happened. Yeah, the Labour has done a good job of presenting itself as being united during this conference. Now, you yourself have had your difficulties with the party leadership. You lost your front bench job after um, giving unscheduled media appearances during a, a, one of the rail strikes. Have you resolved your differences with the leadership? Look, I mean, at the end of the day, I said to Guy at the time, I think it was a total mistake to have created a sort of false or straw man uh, where you ban Labour MPs of all people from going on picket lines and it backfired very badly. Thankfully, you know, the decision was taken that, you know, no one will ever be sacked ever again for going on a picket line because it's such a bad reaction, not just amongst the PLP and amongst trade unions, but actually amongst ordinary folk um, who are at the moment looking for leadership that fights back. And so I think that that is, you know, done and dusted. I think now we're looking forward there is an opportunity for government. And, you know, of course, I want to play my role in doing that, whether it be in transport or any other arena, because, you know, any Labour government, even the worst one, is going to be an awful lot better than a Tory government. And we've got Sam, plans for a really exciting Labour government that I think actually, you know, could go down in history as one of those transformative governments that's moved our country forward a bit like it did in 1945, a bit like it did in 1997. So I want to pick up on one of those plans that was mentioned in Keir Starmer's speech. It was actually the, perhaps the biggest, uh, the biggest applause point of the speech, and that was the plans for a publicly owned energy firm. Isn't there a danger of uh, massive liabilities for the taxpayer and loads more borrowing at a time when markets are telling the government that it's already borrowing too much? No, look. 
the economy in this country and the, the sort of you know the way that we've been the most accelerated turbocharged privatized economy of almost any western nation is just it's just failed it's not just to unbalance the country economically it's just been a disaster the french germans have been able to intervene early on their energy markets because they at least have stakes in some of their energy companies i think you know the new normal is that public ownership is not seen as something that's of the past actually modern democratically owned public ownership is something that's very fresh and very forward thinking it's a 21st century idea remade and i think that's the interesting thing i don't think it's about the liabilities i think what's more reliability is when you look at failing markets we're having to bail out energy companies that are actually making huge amounts of money there are 150 billion pounds that they've paid across to some of the energy companies you know that's just totally unacceptable i think taxpayers you know have for a long time recognize that actually some things are better run in the public sector i mean take rail for example you know that is something where even during the pandemic train operating companies were able to make phenomenal profits yet that's fully subsidized by the taxpayer that isn't right you know this is about resetting the economy a mixture of public and successful private sector business partnerships and that is absolutely the way forward Will Labour have to be much more careful, though, about promises it makes about public spending, given the the, the vicious market reaction that we had uh, to this plan, which was largely about the increase in borrowing is what provoked the market reaction. So does that mean that Labour will have to be more careful about where it announces plans for public spending if it wants to be in government? I think the difficulty for the Conservatives is, is that they've not tied it to any serious long-term industrial strategy, have not planned it properly in terms of investment into communities. The markets and you know analysts are looking at this and thinking, well, where were the jobs going to be created? You know, you often argue with uh, Conservative MPs. They say, oh, well, you know, we've got high employment, but we've got a low-wage economy. You know, we've got high employment because people are doing delivery or, you know, sort of McDonald's. That's the sort of jobs that they're doing. And this is, you know, something that needs to be addressed fundamentally. We need to be investing in skills. That means in FE and, you know, university education. You know, the things we've announced, for example, about accelerating amounts of uh, training nurses and doctors to deal with the health crisis. I think it's absolutely the right sort of thing. But when we're also talking about this green energy revolution, that will create real jobs that are unionised and well-paid in in many parts of the country which have been lagging behind in terms of their economic output and the job opportunities for people. That will be a genuine rebalancing, not the fake levelling up agenda we've had for so long. Sam wants to talk to you about a certain part of the country, and that is Scotland. Now, Labour has 199 seats. It needs 326 for majority. That is a massive uh, wall to climb, and there is no way that's going to happen without Scotland. But Scotland is not showing any signs of coming back to Labour, is it? No, I disagree, actually. We've, we've made uh, significant gains recently. You have to remember, you know, in 2017, we did actually take a whole number of seats back off of the SNP. Of course, we had a dreadful election in 2019. But, you know, even then, some of those seats were still very much within touching distance, you know, a few thousand votes here and there. One of the problems Labour's always had is that people in Scotland who do really dislike the Tories pretty strongly, if they don't believe Labour can win overall, they will then think, well, actually, we'd probably rather head towards independence and the SNP government. But when we're in a scenario where we're comfortably ahead in the polls, we're putting out strong, well-costed policy ideas, people in Scotland are going to look at that and they're going to think, actually, we can boot the Tories, we can actually vote for Labour, knowing that they'll be part of a national Labour government. And, you know, mark my words, you'll start to see more advances for Labour in Scotland because of that. Hi, I'm Ron Kraszewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial Advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. 
Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Hi, I'm Ron Kraszewski, Chairman and CEO of Stiefel. Financial advisors, if you're not growing your practice, you're losing market share. Stiefel is a growing, entrepreneurial, advisor-centric firm built for successful advisors like you. Imagine having the resources of the largest wirehouses and the support of the boutique shops, but none of the bureaucracy to get in the way of you serving your clients. At Stiefel, it's your business, your book, your clients. I always tell the advisors we're recruiting, I want you to come to Stiefel and double or triple your business. Most of them laugh and shake their heads, but I'm serious. Don't take it from me. Take it from Stiefel's number one finish in J.D. Power's 2023 U.S. Financial Advisor Satisfaction Study. So there's a reason why 148 financial advisors joined Stiefel last year. Come join us and find out why Stiefel is the firm where success meets success. Visit www.choosestifel.com. Stiefel Nicholas and Company Incorporated, member SIPC and NYSE. Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code Radio20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival. Well, Kwasi Kwarteng is spending a second day meeting top figures from the world of finance in an effort to convince them of his plans for growth, which have caused so much turmoil in financial markets. Today, he's speaking to representatives from Wall Street's big banks here in London. This comes after the extraordinary statement from the IMF, which told the Chancellor he should re-evaluate his tax cuts and moves from the Bank of England to intervene in the bond markets as well to bring down borrowing costs. We've been discussing these developments with Kitty Usher, Chief Economist at the Institute of Direct who's also a former Treasury Minister and Labour Party MP. I, I think the issue that, that we have is they published things that cost money last Friday in their mini-budget w- without uh, an economic assessment or a fiscal forecast. And so without knowing that the debt-to-GDP ratio uh, will come down in the medium term, uh, the markets, you know, quite understandably um, started pricing in the possibility that it won't because they didn't have evidence to the contrary. Um, so the, the, 
the heart of all of this problem is, you know, I mean, yes, it's the individual proposals in one sense, um, but actually it's the lack of the other side of the story. Um, and so that's, I mean, you can see therefore why yesterday um, the date for the OBR publication, that's the Office of Budget Responsibility, clues in the name, Budget Responsibility, the date for their next report uh, was announced. Uh, there were noises coming out of the central bank, the Bank of England, that they'll do what's necessary without any specifics to try and calm things down and another statement about commitment to fiscal responsibility. Because if there had been published um, uh, a, a medium-term forecast of um, the, uh, the projection for government debt and it showed that it would come down into the medium term, then, then this problem would have been avoided. So in a sense, it's, it's that institutional situation uh, that is the core of the issue here. I mentioned the IMF. They have said, in quotes, that they do not recommend large and untargeted fiscal packages at this juncture. They pointed out the UK. They talked about the measures that were announced last Friday by the Chancellor as increasing inequality to boot. Is the IMF right to warn Truss and Quateng about their approach? I was slightly surprised when I heard that this morning. I, I think they're their report has attracted more attention than is warranted because their report mm. looks like it's it's an opinion, sure, and they do mm. publish you know country opinions, um, but it's 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 not really their job to discuss levels of um, you know distribution within UK uh, population mm. and society, whatever our views of that are. You know, it's a, it's um, something for the government rather than for, for the IMF to sort of lead on. I would say. What are your thoughts on this aim for growth, trying to get supply side growth, what it means for not just the economy, but uh, for IOD members? Well, you know, business obviously does much better if the economy is growing. And there were some specific measures in the so-called mini budget um, that the Institute of Directors had been arguing for really strongly, most notably a reversal in the rise in national insurance contributions, but also the um, annual investment allowance for smaller firms remaining at its £1 million a year level, which was achieved, uh, changes to the self-employed IR35 rules, and, and, and some others sort of microeconomic uh, and uh, sort of capital investment uh, issues uh, as well. But the, the crucial, so, you know, that was, that was extremely welcome. But the crucial point is that it's not the job of business to judge whether the overall fiscal position of government um, is sustainable or not. That's why there has to be an independent assessment published at the same time. So again, this comes to, you know, the, the fundamental point um, is that there needs to be certainty in the markets. Uh, businesses want to feel that the uh, operating environment that they're in uh, is stable so that they can plan for the future with confidence. And we've seen confidence really, really low. So this was a huge opportunity for the new government to say, well, we've got a well worked through plan to, you know, boost uh, uh, the economy, get GDP growth up. And, you know, it's fully costed and won't have uh, a long term negative uh, impact on the fiscal 
position of government. The problem is they only they only said half of that. Um, and so in a sense, they haven't achieved the improvement in certainty that um, it was so kind of desperately needed com- com- coming out of the summer when uh, businesses were still feeling very uncertain due to inflation, due to political mm. instability um, uh, going into the summer uh, and uh, weren't at all sure whether whether this was a good environment in, in, in which to invest. Kitty, you're hugely experienced in the policy world and in politics. Um, Kwasi Kwarteng was a financial analyst at JP Morgan Chase at OD Asset Management. Um, Liz Truss, the Prime Minister, is a chartered accountant. She worked at Shell. You know, these the, the narrative was that this is a, a team, a duo that understands the city of London, um, that understands business. Do you think that Kwasi Kwarteng or Liz Truss anticipated the market meltdown that their policies provoked? Well, you would presume that they they didn't because it hasn't been very desirable. Um, so, I mean, we can only speculate um, as to what they thought about this um, and whether they thought it was a price worth paying. Um, it doesn't feel like that at the moment. What we do know is uh, that the Office of Budget Responsibility had been working very hard over the summer to sort of model various possible outcomes from the leadership uh, election and the and the sort of uh, policy positions that the two main candidates were, were putting forward. And there is absolutely no doubt in my mind that they could have published their independent assessment of the fiscal effect uh, on Friday. Um, so it looks as if government didn't take up that offer. Um, what we don't know is whether that was, you know, conscious sort of decision because they didn't like what it would say, or whether it was, you know, possibly a lack of understanding that this would be interpreted as a budget. And so both sides of the story uh, were required at the same time. That was Kitty Usher, Chief Economist at the Institute of Directors, speaking earlier to Caroline Hepker and Danny Berger. Well, countries elsewhere in Europe have also been announcing their budget plans. Both France and Ireland have announced massive aid packages to tackle the soaring cost of living. But they aren't relying quite so much on borrowing as in the UK. Ireland is using a jump in corporate tax receipts to fund €4 billion Euros in extra help. We've been speaking to the Irish Finance Minister, Pascal Donoghue, about this. I asked him if his government could have gone further. We've got the balance right. Uh, what we need to do is ensure that we are doing enough to support Irish households and Irish business without either adding to domestic inflationary pressure or undermining uh, our ability to continue to be economically resilient and financially stable. And that is why the scale of our budget day package has been determined by domestic taxes here in Ireland and additional tax revenue across this year. Mm. But critically, as you said, uh, last night uh, the Irish Parliament agreed to a resolution for me to deposit €6 billion Euro in a national reserve fund across 2022 and 2023. So we're well funded and funding our response back from taxes that we're collecting, not uh, higher okay. levels of borrowing. You've warned of the country's high dependency, though, on a very narrow corporate tax base. Clearly, that's, that's doing well for you at the moment. But what is being done to broaden that tax base? Uh, so broadening a tax base at a time of high inflation and falling living standards is quite a challenge. And indeed, uh, broadening the tax base, as your listeners will well know, is a different way of expressing the need to bring in tax increases. What I did when our economy was growing uh, more quickly than it is now, and before we got hit with the consequence of the war in Ukraine, 
if we broadened our tax base through, for example, the introduction of a carbon tax. Uh, what we need to do here in Ireland now is uh, respond back to support Irish households and our businesses and buy a €6 billion Euro into our National Reserve Fund and not using that to fund day-to-day spending. It's a really significant step back from the government here to managing a medium-term risk in corporate tax revenue. Minister, I'd like to ask you a question also with your Eurogroup president hat on as well. The euro sinking to a 20-year low against the dollar this morning, uh, 95.36, the level it's trading at. How much are you worried about a weak euro impacting uh, both Ireland and the wider eurozone economies? Well, I think the weak euro obviously uh, has to be seen in the context of the impact of a war uh, in and on uh, Europe and the European Union. Uh, That, of course, is a key factor in the market view and perspective of the European economy. But the point I would make about where the European economy is at the moment is if you look at where we are fiscally, uh, euro area average deficits now are less than 3%. We're still projecting to growth next year, albeit I accept a low level of growth. And institutionally, uh, the euro area has been vastly strengthened Uh, versus where we were in the global financial crisis due to, for example, the role of the European Stability Mechanism, how we regulate our banks and the way in which our fiscal rules were uh, implemented and indeed are now being uh, given uh, an appropriate degree of flexibility to help us deal back uh, with the consequences of the war. There is a cabinet reshuffle on the way in Ireland in December. It doesn't at this stage look likely that you will stay in your current job. Are you running for a second term as Eurogroup president and are you campaigning with your European colleagues to keep that job? Uh, Well, I only delivered a budget for Ireland uh, yesterday afternoon, less than 24 hours ago. And uh, my future and jobs that I do is very much secondary to the future of the economy here in Ireland future of the euro area and how we have the right policies in place and that's where my focus is at the moment the role that i do is a matter for the party leaders and they'll determine this a good time a little later in the year bloomberg uk politics listen weekdays at noon on dab digital radio in london Collaborate for a greener future at the Bloomberg Green Festival, a groundbreaking celebration of the thinkers, doers, and innovators leading the way. From design and culture to technology, science, and entertainment. Hear from inspirational speakers and immerse yourself in climate solutions, July 10th through 13th in Seattle. Title sponsor, Amazon. Official airline, Alaska Airlines. Get 20% off using promo code RADIO20 at BloombergLive.com slash Green Festival.